Napa know-how. It takes a lot to get excited about a bag, but most bags can't save you 20% on auto parts. That's 20% off headlamps, 20% off oil filters, 20% off virtually anything you can fit inside the 99-cent Napa reusable bag. So tell your buddies, there's a bag they just have to check out. Quality parts, helpful people. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. At participating Napa Auto Parts stores while supplies last. Minimum three items. Exclusions apply. Offer ends 10-31-17. You are Locked On Nuggets. Your daily podcast on the Denver Nuggets. Play. Sir. Yeah. Yeah. is in the building. Yeah. All right. Already the show goes on all night. Till the morning we dream so long. Anybody ever wonder when they were seen? What is up, everybody? Welcome to the Lockdown Nuggets podcast, part of Lockdown NBA Network. I'm your host, Adam Matas from DenverStiffs.com, the largest Denver Nuggets blogging community on the web. That's DenverStiffs.com. You want to check us out. You also want to check us out on Twitter, if that's your thing, at DenverStiffs, Facebook, uh, and also Instagram. Cool stuff all around. And you'll want to make sure you subscribe to this show on iTunes. Uh, usually these can be found on denverstiffs.com. I usually put a post up, but not always. And it's nice if you are a podcast listener, it's nice to have this right on your phone. As soon as it gets uploaded, they'll go to your phone. You can set a notification so it lets you know. That way you always have it on you. <clears throat> this one is, this episode is going to be going over the Houston game, the loss to the Houston Rockets, which was just a brutal uh, tough, tough loss for the Nuggets. And not tough because it was an opponent they were supposed to beat. They actually came in as nine-point underdogs. They didn't have Wilson Chandler or Danilo Gallinari again. And I think, um, you know, going into the game, you think, well, they're probably not supposed to win this game. But we're at the part of the season now where it doesn't matter if you're supposed to or not supposed to win. Nuggets just have to find a way to get wins because Portland, as I mentioned in the last episode, uh, my last episode was really about how Portland has taken control of the race for the eight seed, and they did it by winning games like this one, games they weren't supposed to win. So this one was a tough one for the Nuggets, but I want to get into my notes. <clears throat> in the first quarter, so the Nuggets decided to start Jokic Plumley again, and if you've listened to the show, it's a lineup... I like as the pairing. I think they work a lot better than than Jokic and Nurkic did, and I actually think I'm going to go over some of the details of what's making that lineup, um, or some of the interesting things I'm seeing in that lineup. But I hate it. I absolutely hate it as a starting lineup. I think for whatever value th- that pairing has, and I do think it has a, a, a value. I just don't think when you start them. What it does, and what it's done on several games, is it's disrupted the best part about this Nuggets team, and that is the flow of the offense. And if you look at it, Nuggets got 28 points in the first uh, quarter. Um, their second lowest, they got 27 in the fourth, but 28 in the first quarter, and a lot of that was, um, in fact, I think they only had 13 halfway through when, when Plumlee checked out. So you go half the quarter and you're hardly scoring, and I don't think those things are a coincidence. It's not that I think Plumlee and Jokic, again, can't play together, but I think if you're the Nuggets, you have to establish the best part of your identity, which is sort of this open paint, free-flowing offense that goes through Jokic. In other words, 
the more touches you can get Jokic early and the more you can kind of get the ball moving, get guys cutting, spacing the floor, I think the more comfortable the team gets. So for me, in my opinion, the highest priority goes to establishing those things. And I just think if those things are already established, the Plumlee-Jokic lineup works a lot better. But if you come right out the gate, um, teams will do what they did in this one, which I thought was kind of force the ball into Plumlee's hands. He um, So the first thing I noticed was teams kind of sag off of him, even on the baseline. Plumlee, I talked about how Fareed is so good because he kind of just plays the baseline and he lets Jokic operate up top and how Plumlee likes to play up top as well, but he can play the baseline. Well, I think he's getting better and better at just going down low. Um, he really doesn't – it's almost like he's kind of figured out, okay, when I'm we're playing together, I'm the one that has to make the sacrifice, and he does a pretty good job of it. Not as good as Kenneth Fareed, mind you. Kenneth Fareed is just a master of that role, and his athleticism makes him kind of a master of the putback and hustle play dunks and things like that. Plumlee doesn't have that, that – level of quick explosiveness and kind of like second jump quickness, but he does have some strength and size inside, but it didn't translate. In fact, there was a couple opportunities for him for offensive rebounds or for these kind of just short quarter drop-offs where I think Fareed nine times out of 10 finishes the play and Plumlee maybe three or four times uh, out of 10 finishes the play. And he had a couple that he did not finish in that first quarter, Um, but he is going down to that baseline. And I do think, I do think that Jokic Plumley pairing is going to be a successful one going forward. Again, it has it, it's solely about them as a starting unit because I think, like any great team with a great player, you've got to establish your identity first and foremost. <clears throat> so that was th- thirteen and eighteen, and let's just look at Jokic's stats: two rebounds, one assist, zero for one shooting, just one shot attempt in over that span, and the Nuggets outscored thirteen to eighteen. As soon as he checked out, the Nuggets immediately stormed back. And again, I'm not blaming Plumlee for this, but as soon as he checked out, Jokic racks up four assists. The Nuggets are a plus 12 in the next four-minute stretch. So it was almost uh, there's other things that were going on, and guys hitting some tough shots and uh, some unlucky bounces on Houston's side. But the offense, I thought, kind of established itself in that at, from that point on, after that six-minute mark. Harris is doing, Gary Harris has been doing a great job of making plays off the dribble this year. And this was, I thought, a really strong offensive performance from him. Not just because he hit some huge shots. He missed one, really. (laughs) He missed a shot the Nuggets desperately needed in the third quarter or fourth quarter in the corner. But outside of that, he hit just a bunch of shots that, honestly, I didn't think he was going to. Um, So it was, was, I thought, a, a good game from him. The Rockets got out on the break a lot in this game, and some of that was the turnovers. The story of that first quarter, and really of the game, was the Nuggets' turnovers. They got all the way up into the 18. Uh, I don't know how many uh, fast break points they got. I guess I could look that up here really quickly. Um, They allowed, let's see, just 11 fast break points. Am I reading that right? Yeah, just 11 fast break points um, and points off of turnovers. Oof, oof, 27 points off of turnovers. So the Nuggets turning the ball over was a story, but also just kind of not stopping the break, which I guess is like foreshadowing to how this game was going to painfully, painfully end. But um, they they just weren't stopping the ball in transition right from the get-go, I thought, and it uh, it led to a lot of easy Rockets points. The Nuggets also had a really weird stretch in the first quarter where they had three turnovers 
uh, immediately following a timeout. They called a timeout to kind of settle themselves. They come back out and they uh, got three straight turnovers on just sloppy plays, bad passes. The funny thing is, I think the Nuggets' offense is best against teams that overplay the passing lanes. The key is you just can't throw lazy passes on ball reversals, and the Nuggets had a bunch of those tonight. Um, I, I wish I could say it's uncharacteristic, but the Nuggets have a lot of different types of turnovers, so the fact that they had these lazy ones on the ball reversals today isn't horribly surprising, but it was just a golden opportunity because Houston actually played into Denver's hands, in my opinion. And again, maybe this is connected to how clunky the offense was to start. I, part of this is, this is, I always say that I was kind of, a, back in my playing days, I was kind of a, a unique big in this, and played similar to Jokic and that I was a passing, elbow passing big or post passing big. And for me, it, you could always tell kind of how the flow of offense was going to get going by by whether or not you teams were teams were kind of playing through that high post and getting opening up the paint or if the ball got sticky and I just think that, that's why I'm so adamant about these domino effects and why I think I'm I'm so adamant about the need for the Nuggets to kind of establish it doesn't matter if they score if they Jokic is getting points or assists or this or that but just putting the ball there I have this tremendous confidence that the Nuggets are going to be getting the right types of action and in the right rhythm. Now, the Nuggets, the only reason they were in the game to close the quarter was because Will Barton, now Gary Harris hit a bunch of tough shots early. Uh, Will Barton hit some really big, two huge threes there at the end of the quarter to pull the Nuggets within uh, uh, seven points, which it's kind of weird to say pull within seven was a good thing, but they could have been down easily 11 points, 12 points, but Barton hit a couple of tough threes. The second quarter was by far the most fascinating quarter of the game and a really, really interesting one for the Nuggets. So part of the staggering the Jokic-Plumley lineup is about how the rotations go behind it. And James Harden went to the bench to start the second quarter. That's when the Nuggets really had an opportunity to take advantage. And they did behind one of the most interesting lineups of the year, Moutier, Jamal Murray, Wancho Hernan Gomez, Will Barton, and Nikola Jokic. Uh, I guess I could switch Barton and Wancho since Wancho is technically the the four, although this game had a lot of small ball, so you know, take with that what you will. But that's that's a five out lineup. Jokic playing the high post and then four very reliable shooters. Wancho, by the way, he only went one for five tonight, but man does his shot look great. I, I that guy really I mean I I hear nothing but good things about how hard he works and his shot just looks like a pure shot. The stroke is good. He had to take a couple like contested into shot clock shots tonight that maybe lowered his percentage, but I just really like what I see from him. And that lineup went on a 10-1 run to start, and I'm not really surprised. One of the things about the younger guys is that they defer to Jokic a lot. Moutier, Murray, Wancho all give give Jokic the ball, and I would be interested to kind of see Jokic's touches in the second quarter, especially in that run when they went on that run, which was like four or five minutes that they got together. I'd be very interested to see what Jokic's uh, touch time or you know how many touches and pass attempts he got in that section because I would guess it was every single play down court. Um, and that's kind of what I like of it. It was the best quarter by far. The Nuggets outscored him by pretty ma- by. 10 points, 37 to 27 in that quarter to take a lead into halftime, and just absolutely impressive. Now, the interesting thing is, I was wondering is, James Harden was out for that stretch, and as much as the Nuggets played great on offense, Harden being out 
is so important um, for any team that plays Houston to kind of take advantage of those minutes. And one of the things I wondered was, could they have, had they stackered things properly, could that have been the good overlap with Jokic and Plumlee? And on the floor for that time, they had always one player, uh, Houston that is, only had one big. Half of the time it was Clint Capella, the other half it was Nene kind of playing center. And then they had a stretch for either Sam Decker or Ryan Anderson. Now my, my thought is, Sam Decker and Ryan Anderson are good players, but but they're not... Without James Harden on the court, Plumlee can easily guard those guys. And on the other end of the court, you lose obviously a lot of spacing by not having that four-out style with Jokic kind of operating as point center. But I think Plumlee could kind of dominate the offensive glass. So I wonder if a smarter plan would have been to kind of stagger those units. And it sounds weird to say, could they have done better than 10-1? I don't think you could have. But the second time that the Nuggets tried that lineup, they actually gave up a 9-0 run. So if you look at it, it was actually 10-10 between the first quarter and fourth quarter if you kind of just look at the two times that the Nuggets kind of ruled the dice with that lineup with Harden out. The third quarter, I thought Jokic came out. He'd only had two shot attempts, I believe, in the first half. And some of that was being a little bit too pass-happy. Some of that was the clunky offense again. But it looked like the Nuggets were trying to establish him in the third quarter, and he was trying to establish himself. And I actually thought he did a pretty good job after getting off to kind of a rough start. He didn't hit, I think, his first two or three. But after that, he kind of figured out that he can attack Clint Capella off of the dribble. And what I liked about the way he was attacking in particular was he wasn't – in times past, he kind of premeditated his move. You remember that carry he got called. He used the same move three times, I believe, over the previous three or four games and finally got called for a carry. But it was almost like a premeditated move before he went. Tonight I thought he did a good job of kind of just inching or backing Capella down, reading the double team perfectly, and then scoring either through contact or kicking out, making the right read on the kickout. So I thought it started getting him going, and several possessions he kind of took over inside. Uh, Harris uh, has also gotten really good at this like inside-handed lead dribble. It's where, say, you're facing, um, you know, you're facing the sideline at the top of the key, and let's just say, just to kind of envision it, you're um, perpendicular to the basket, so you're kind of standing sideways, and the basket is on your right. And then instead of kind of pivoting around to your left hand and your lead hand like you usually do, what Gary Harris has been doing is leading with his inside hand, which would be his right hand, throwing the ball kind of forward and pushing off with his left. It's kind of a quote-unquote new fundamental. This isn't like how they teach you growing up, but more and more players are doing it because it's such a off-rhythm way of kind of blowing past your defender, and it's really useful. Harris has, Gary Harris has used it quite a bit, and it's really been effective for him. I, I really like it as kind of this quick move that, that catches people off guard. They open the fourth quarter as badly as you possibly can. I mentioned this um, 9-0 run that, that Houston went on, and the defense obviously the biggest issue. But I think, to me, what stood out the most was they were so scripted on offense to start the fourth. And teams always do this. Coming out of timeouts, coming out of uh, to start a quarter, teams will always have kind of a scripted play. But the execution of that scripted play was absolutely terrible. They went back to that lineup with a bunch of youngins. Jamal Murray was kind of playing the point. He was the one kind of initiating the offense. And he couldn't make the pass. He was getting pressure. The wings were getting pressured. And there just wasn't open. And, and Murray kind of panicked. 
And the thing I hated about this was, for one, the play design was obviously too obvious. The defense was completely prepared for it. But for two, the Nuggets had just absolutely demolished Houston on this, like, free fl- just playing their game. They're, the Nuggets' best offense, they run some things that I like, you know, in certain situations, but their best offense is just this this continuity, free-flowing, dribble handoff offense that spaces the court. And I think sometimes, not just Malone, but a lot of coaches can over-script what they want to do. D'Antoni is by far the best at this and the best at kind of just, like, reading the flow of the game and you watch Houston, he just has so much trust in James Harden to kind of make plays, whether they have a bunch of actions, a bunch of principles, they space the court so well, everyone knows where they're supposed to be, but he just trusts that James Harden will make the right decision and and all the guys in the court kind of know their role. I thought to start the fourth, the offense was just so painfully scripted that it was so easy to defend and and I just don't get why they do that. It was also, there wasn't a lot of movement you know, the Nuggets have become very good. I think Wancho, Gary Harris, Jamal Murray, these guys have become so smart, even Will Barton, about how to cut and how to get off, open off ball. And not just cut. Sometimes the best thing to do is actually space, not cut. In fact, a lot of the time, um, one of my pet peeves for, for playing like pickup or playing with guys that – honestly, how to space the court in basketball is one of the most important skills that even some – collegiate level guys still don't don't understand very well at all and one of my pet peeves is when people think just movement in the half court is a good thing like just keep moving keep moving it's not actually spacing the court and keeping the paint open is more important than just moving constantly so I always hate when I'm playing basketball and somebody like cuts right into the direction of the if I'm trying to make a dribble to the baseline and someone cuts along the baseline right into me uh, it's one of the most frustrating things. The Nuggets, this game, no movement. It looked like they were or in the to start the fourth quarter, and I think that's because they were so scripted. They stopped kind of thinking and reacting and were like, well, I'm supposed to be here because then the pass goes here and then I'm here, and that's how it goes. Let's fast forward because we could break everything down in this game, but it really came down to the Nuggets hit some huge shots in the fourth. This was a If it weren't for the Nuggets losing and their playoff hopes kind of going up in flames, I think uh, this game would have been really entertaining because this was rather a lot of times it's it's teams kind of struggling down the, the stretch or, or not scoring and the game getting mucked up. This was two teams kind of throwing heavyweight punches and making some clutch buckets. Jokic had some clutch post ups and finishes. Barton had some big shots. I mean Gary Harris. There was just some huge shots made, but both ways, and it all culminated. The Nuggets up one with just, I don't know, 30 seconds left somewhere in there. Just enough time for their for Houston to not foul, but was not going to leave them more than, say, seven or eight seconds you know, to, to go the other way. In this situation, because I see a lot of people on different sites and social media complaining about Jameer Nelson and what he did, and I'm going to defend him in this regard just for this one situation. When you have a lead in a game, the shot becomes slightly less important than the defensive floor balance. And that's why a lot of teams, when you have a lead and there's not a ton of time, the main goal is let's try to get a shot up, any kind of look that can hopefully, you know, has a chance to go in. doesn't have to be a great look. But more importantly, let's just not give up a fast break the other way. Let's make sure that our defense is set. Now, the unit they had out there was a little bit young. Wancho, for example, was on the floor. Um... Jamal Murray was not, I don't believe, Gary Harris, Will Barton, Jokic. But in that moment, 
the shot that Gary Harris got was not horribly important. He did wait a little bit too long, but I also get why he did it. He was trying to leave as little time as possible for Houston. So they run the pick and roll, which they had been running the whole fourth quarter. They got the switch the same way they had wanted the whole fourth quarter. But unfortunately, they got the switch too late, and there wasn't enough time to kind of give a bounce pass into Jokic because it had taken too long. Now, that's a mistake, but it's not the end of the world. What I think should have happened, because if you look at when the switch happened, I think there were six seconds on the shot clock, not enough time. As soon as you see that that entry pass can't get in, I would have called a timeout. You say there's about six seconds left uh, on the shot clock and about 12 seconds left on the game clock. I actually call a timeout, and for this reason... You're not going to get a good shot with Jameer Nelson. You're probably not going to get a good shot out of the the timeout. But the one thing you can do in a timeout is just get your floor balance straight. Now, the Nuggets, if they were a veteran team, if it was the Spurs, I think they would have had their floor balance figured out. I think they all kind of clue in, and that's where this is kind of a teaching moment. Unfortunately, it comes at the expense of much-needed playoff positioning. But if you call a timeout here, you can say, all right, Wancho, for example, don't go for the offensive rebound here. It's not, or, or go for the offensive rebound, but you got to sprint back on defense as soon as it goes up. Instead, Wancho sees the shot go up. He kind of over-pursues Harden. Harden grabs the rebound off the air ball pretty easily. And Wancho like runs right at him, and then you could see kind of an oh-crap moment, like, oh, crap, now he's past me. And if Wancho would have just kind of sprinted to the top of the key as opposed to, to the block where Harden was – Harden would have just had to have used one extra move to get around him, or maybe Wancho could have kind of backpedaled and funneled him you know, into the help or whatever, just kind of slowed him down. Because again, Harden scored with two seconds. If you can just slow him down by a second or two or push him the long way around, you up your odds just so incredibly much. The floor balance, though, is the biggest thing. So I don't mind the ISO. The ISO there is actually probably the best play you can get because – you don't want a turnover. A turnover is the worst thing you can have in that situation. And the points aren't really that important because you're up. But the floor bounce was the most important thing. As it turns out, I think Jameer got illegally screened by Nene. In fact, I screen grabbed it on Denver Stiffs' Twitter account. You can kind of see Nene begins the screen right outside of the half-court line and then finishes the screen at the free-throw line. So he kind of just grabs Jameer and kind of just shuffles with him. So Jameer got completely taken out of being able to stop the ball. Will Barton seemed to not really think quick enough about what he was supposed to do. He had Eric Gordon in the corner, which really good chance he knocks that down if he catches it. Then he had James Harden in the paint. Obviously, that's a bucket if he gets there. He got caught in no man's land in between. Didn't He wasn't really in position for the kick out, and he didn't stop. clearly didn't stop Harden. Um, so I think it was just a comedy of errors on the transition. The shot, again, people are focused on the shot and how can a guy take a shot. Well, that's whatever. It almost doesn't matter. What's important is just not giving them an easy bucket because if you can even just force them to take a timeout, Harden rebounds it with – the shot goes up with like six seconds left. Harden rebounds it with five. If you can just stop right there and force them to take a timeout or maybe Harden takes two dribbles and then realizes he doesn't have numbers and calls a timeout – now you're talking about you just need it. You have a timeout to plan. You can get right personnel in there, and it's three seconds. You know you kind of live with that, but that's not how it worked out. Now, I said in my last pod- podcast, and I took a little flack for it, saying that the Nuggets are now underdogs for this for this playoff race. And some people thought, "Oh, you're being too too cynical." I don't I don't think so. I mean, you guys, the the importance of those three games that Portland won cannot be under overstated. They are now in the driver's seat because they now have the same record as the Nuggets. 
the Nuggets could win out, and if they win out, that means they beat Portland, and then they so in that regard, they still have their fate in their hands. But the odds are the Nuggets aren't going to go thirteen and zero to close out the season, um, and especially given the the schedule that they have, this one again was one I didn't count on them winning. I thought they were going to lose by more than this, even to be perfectly honest. But unfortunately, the way it played out, it was one they could have won. In fact, they could have won it all the way down to the final seconds. I'll be back with another episode tomorrow, guys. I have a guest on the show, and it'll be fun to kind of preview the Cavs game. We don't do a whole lot of game previews, but we're going to preview that one, which I think as we get closer to the end of the year, these the details of each game could become more and more important. Um, but this is a tough one to swallow, a tough pill to swallow. The Nuggets' odds now move to 70 our Portland's odds now move up, I think, to 75%, and I wouldn't be surprised if that's above 80% by tomorrow just because they they just are. I, I hate to say it, but they are such overwhelming favorites at this point that I I would actually be shocked if the, uh, the Nuggets somehow managed to pull this off. All right, that's it for the day. We'll be back tomorrow. It takes a lot to get excited about a bag, but most bags can't save you 20% on auto parts. That's 20% off headlamps, 20% off oil filters, 20% off virtually anything you can fit inside the 99-cent Napa reusable bag. So tell your buddies, there's a bag they just have to check out. Quality parts, helpful people. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. At participating Napa auto parts stores while supplies last. Minimum three items. Exclusions apply. Offer ends 10 17